0: to live in a willow tree. A willow tree, a willow tree. And if I lived in a willow tree, would you come Go live in a willow tree. Me with you and you with me. Let's get as cozy as... Cozy. Well, we are here in Oak Hill, Florida, gathered around the old oak table. It's a Sunday evening. And it's a little different vibe. We're going to go ahead and do a beer with Mike Johnson. And Mike, how you been, brother? It's been great to have you in town for the weekend. You've been here for the Dingy
1: Derby. How's it going? I have a giant smile on my face because I can now consider myself a red fisherman. A huge red fisherman. Well, there's no doubt about that. You know, Mike and I
0: had the awesome opportunity to share water this afternoon. We went out, um, had a damn fine lunch, damn fine overlooking the beach in New Smyrna. Mike had a couple of cocktails. Great
1: shrimp, shrimp and shrimp for uh, three meals so far.
0: I was gonna say, I think you've had shrimp every meal during the visit when we've been out. And uh, we got back to the house here, and we've been kind of looking to the weather because uh, there's been a few storms blowing around. And once we kind of got the sense that we were going to be in the clear, oh, we yeah. loaded up on old 33, and we went out to see if we could find one of those happy red fish in Mosquito Lagoon oh. so that Mike could go ahead and notch his belt and say, yeah, I've been there. I've done that.
1: I mean, uh I was the bolt in the chamber, but you are the definitely uh 30 at 6 rifle with the proper scope on there for me and uh you put me on them. It's that skiff is something else. It's just you know, I, it's something special, it really I'll, is.
0: I'll be honest. I think you're giving me more credit <laughs> than than you should be giving yourself. Um so Mike and I uh, took off from the old dirt ramp down here at the south end of the, the Taylor Park and kind of slid into the spot we were going to look at. And gosh, I'd say like good 150, 200 yards in, um, we're, we're talking about what, uh, what we should be looking for. And um, trying to give Mike, like the the redfish mosquito lagoon primer yeah of, it, was, uh, it was
1: you know redfish 101 i've never done it before i you know i've fished off pangas but never a skiff like that so it's a whole different kind of it's it's, it's a it's a subtle thing it's it's a soft thing it's not a a, like a hammer that the uh like a panga is it's the, the skiffs are just such a new thing to me and it's just so just so slick and it's, it's it's really something special.
0: You know, uh, what I and I, I told you this while we were on the water. Um you actually asked, you know, like what are you looking at? What are you looking for? And um honestly, you're the first person that's ever asked me like while I'm on the back of the skiff, where are you looking? And you know, I'm not looking anywhere in particular. I'm looking at a lot of places and and you know, I guess you could say I'm scanning but because you'd asked, I was like, wow, okay, how do, I, how do I articulate what I'm doing back here? So I did my best to explain it to you yeah, that, yeah, definitely. you know, from basically your 1130, but with the light that we had today, from about your 1130 back to well behind me at like, you know, 630 to 7 o'clock, I'm looking at the shoreline. Because uh, I can see where through the water and beyond that front marker, the glare, etc. I can't really see anything in the water.
1: Yeah, that sun's at a low angle like that.
0: Yeah, we had a little overcast skies because we had a, a the remnants of a thunderstorm out to the west of us. But I, I I might see a push. I'm hoping to see a tail. And I kind of explained it to you like, you know, I'm looking for things further down the shoreline that are of interest so that in my mind, I can go come back, bring the eyes back to that. Um, I'm always looking to the left um, with with the setup that we had because you're a right-handed caster. And occasionally I'm checking out to the right side of the skiff over to, to starboard because I don't want to just cruise past. Like maybe, maybe there's a little tail and, tail and fish out to the right or something. I'm not going to see it because of the water conditions, but if he shows himself with the tail, yeah, I'm going to see it. So it was like a combination of all those things. And we saw a little bit of uh, nervous water, some activity going on. And, and you saw that and you pointed it out and I said, Oh, that's a mullet. And I thought, okay, teachable moment here. And explain to you why I knew it was a mullet, the way the the, the behavior, the way the push was happening, the the,
1: splash, not a sploosh.
0: Right. And and then I went further and said, hey, you know, if you can see the fish in the water, look at its tail. You know, redfish, straight. Fork tail, probably a mullet. Could be a catfish, but probably a mullet. A few minutes later, you're like, Hey, is that a redfish over there? And I look (laughs) and I'm like, holy shit. Not only is that a redfish, that's two redfish. So um, you you sent one, man. You got right in the game. You put it out
1: there. It felt good. You, know, you handed me the proper tools, the proper fly. I mean, I think that's half the battle right there. But, I mean, like you said, with, with, with the vision and looking, what I kind of got from that is you're scouring. Everything's getting 1% up and down, 1%, 1%. And you see something that catches your eye. Well, that spot's getting a 20%. And you're back 80%, 80%, and that 20% is getting a little pause. And then you're back up and down, back up and down. And I think that's that's important. I mean, it is gorgeous out there. There's beautiful clouds to look at. There's gorgeous birds flying around. There's water birds walking around. I mean, there's splashes. There's manatees. It's, it's distracting how beautiful it is out there. So to, like, center yourself and focus it, on that sens- one thing. It,
0: it really is sensory overload. It, it truly is. You, you can mean, really oh. get lost quick in in the grandeur of it. Oh, 100%. And And, you know, to use that word, the grandeur of it all, it it really is this truly unique and special place. Mosquito Lagoon is unlike any other place on the planet when it comes to red fishing. So you saw the the fish and I was like, holy shit. yeah, Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That's that. That's exactly what we're looking for. And I was like, get on it. And you made a cast. And as you're making it, I'm like, there's actually two fish. And you made the cast. I, I, I Going back and trying to remember, I can't remember if we kind of picked up and recast a second time, but regardless, you got in the game. And I'm like, strip, 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 strip. And you got it to where it needed to be. And I was like, all right, slow down. All right, little bump, bump. And I saw the fish eat, eat the fly. That ate. And, and, whether it was like between a strip or whatever you didn't come tight
1: no you know i've never caught a redfish so i don't know you know how do you set the hook how do you you know with trout with steelhead i know what to expect I've, I've caught a bunch i understand how much but i've never caught a redfish do you rip it out of its mouth is its mouth soft is it a tarpon are you banging on it like what is going on is there you know five pound tippet is there a 20 pound tippet I don't know. So I'm I'm being, I'm always more ginger. You're a little, you're, you're being conservative. I'm being conservative on it. And it, and it, I did not set the hook and it, it came unpinned. Okay. But I, I learned from all that. I'm like, okay, I got to set the hook now. And we were, we were talking.
0: Okay. So we were, we, we, we you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a higher vantage point. I, I'm on the polling platform. You're on the front. You're up on the dance floor. And I clearly see the fish eat. And, I'm thinking, holy shit he's going to no we missed it, and I see the fit like the fish knew mm-hmm. shit's weird, yep okay, get the fuck out of here, so the fish like bolted down the shoreline to the to the stern of the boat down the shoreline yep, fuck gone, gone he might have he might have slowed down around uh Brevard County or so <laughs> he was out and I instantly went back to, okay dude, holy shit, you fucking fed it, right? Okay, dude, Mike you fucking fed the fish and we are we're like starting to debrief that incident. Now, for those of you who aren't paying really close attention, remember there were two redfish. The
1: two redfish fly is still in the water. The
0: fly is still there cuz like once he missed it and we're like, "Oh shit, we missed it." Mike stopped stripping, we're talking. And I was like, all right, let's get ready. Let's get ready to go again. And Mike goes to clear the... Yep, uh, the pick it up. And pick up and bring... And when he goes tight, there's a fucking
1: redfish on the line. So what do you call that? That's called the un- unattended dangler. That's the unattended dangler officially. So I'm like, holy shit.
0: The fucking second is redfish on. is on. And now he's fucking clear in line because all of a sudden he realizes... The fucking jig is up. He just got stuck in the fucking mouth. Yep. And I know that the fish just simply picked the fly up because the first fish missed it. We were focused on the first fish. Yep, there were two competing for it. And the second guy was right behind him. And now that we know he's on, we haven't really strip set that fish. So I said to you, just bounce the rod tip a couple of times for me. And you did. And the fish is fucking clear in line. You're giving it the line. You're doing a fucking great job. They just came up. I fucked it up for you. No, no, no. No, no. I fucked it up for you because I immediately went into I need to document the moment mode. Ah. So I jump down, I grab the iPhone, I go to the camera, and (laughs) just about the time I'm gonna be like, Look at this motherfucker. That button is to kiss it down. You go, shit. And I'm like Nothing there. Nobody home. I fucked up. I took the ca- I, I, I got the camera going, and I was like, you know what? Don't worry about it. There's going to be another one. Another one. All right. You
1: know, and the, the big thing with that is, and I tell everyone I know and everyone I fish with, is fish the cast that you have in the water. Um, a lot of times you're 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 casting and stripping and looking to the next place you're going to cast, and you're not fishing the cast you have in the water. That's right. And. We didn't yank it up. We didn't trout set the thing into the bushes. It was sitting in the water, still working. You don't catch flies in... You don't catch fish in the air. The fly was in the water. We were talking and working out what had just happened. But we... I still had a fly in the water, a cast in the water. So you got to fish the cast that you're on. Don't look to the next one. Don't think about the next one. When your fly's in the water, fish that fish. Fish that cast. That's it's right. Fly.
0: Okay. So kind of to take that point home. Jokingly, cheesy, <laughs> I often say when I have somebody that's on the bow, that like it's their first time doing it, I'll try to say, look, I'm going to do my best from the back of the skiff to increase the odds for you. I'm going to try to help you. I'm going to be trying to spot fish. If I see a fish, I'm going to call it out. Most... Guys are going to go, you know, hey, 1030, going to 11 o'clock, redfish, 45 feet, send it. That's what I always think that I'm going to do. But I usually devolve into, oh, shit, redfish, Mike, see the piece of wood on the shoreline. And I, I probably over try to describe where it is to try to get you on it. But what I always tell people is. I'm not going to see every fish. Sure. Okay? If you see what you think is a redfish, but you're not sure if it's a redfish, who knows? It might be a fucking catfish, whiskered sea bass, or it <laughs> could be a big row mullet. Yep. But if in doubt, yeah. whip it out.
1: Yeah. Worst case, a, fly, you're just, you're cast a, out f- a mullet. a fly in your
0: hand ain't going to catch a fish. Any. Yeah. But like you said, once you commit, you put that fucking fly down range, fish the fucking fly.
1: Yep, that fly—it's the water. You are a fisherman. You're a caster when it's in the air, but you're a fisherman when it's in the water.
0: I like that. That's it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So we had that to start our redfish trip, and I was—be honest with you—I was fucking stoked. <laughs> I was like, okay that went down way better from the get-go than most of my brand new guy to the mosquito lagoon goes oh, yeah. well
1: i, I know it's we a tough, saw fish it's a tough
0: sport no no hold on let me fuck that we we didn't see fish you saw the <laughs> fish i didn't see it until you pointed it out and i'm like Wow, Mike's fucking getting it. Yeah, but but and that, it's a team sport here, man. Uh, no, I understand that. But you advanced it, and the, the fact that you saw it, and I'm like, yes. And then you executed. You put the fly in the game where it needed to be. You got the reaction. You got an eat. Yeah, we missed the strip set. And then the second fish,
1: fish that was threw
0: us part. a lifeline. That was the best part. Right? So kind of in my mind, and I never articulated this while we were on the skiff, I'm thinking, hey, even if we don't catch one from this point moving forward, we did feed one. Absolutely. Okay. And, and then when the second one ate it when we weren't watching, now we're hooked up to one. At least he's felt what happened. Correct.
1: And, you know, and that was a big thing for me, you know, being new at this game of, of the flats, the whole redfish, the mosquito lagoon. It knocked all, like, the ring rust off of me. It knocked the jitters off of me. And it kind of got all that pressure, kind of, that I was putting on myself, you know.
0: Well, you even said it. You're like, okay, now I know what we're doing. Yeah. yeah now I know, I, I, I'm there. I understood, I, I
1: understood the game at that point. I'm right. like, okay, we, this is how we do it. We see it. You're going to call it out. We got four eyes on it now. We're, now we're going to work together and see where it is, where to put the cast. And it, it, that that whole thing right there was like the 101 in a nutshell We were ready to go at that point. We were fishing after that. Right.
0: So we go ahead and uh, keep covering some water, and we really didn't see anything for a little while. But uh, as we came around a corner where this nice little creek connects to what used to be gorgeous flats, but as you know, Mosquito Lagoons, kind of a shell of its old self. Sure. We're dealing with, you know, murky water. And we're, we're somewhere where my memories of that area are gin clear, emerald green carpet of grass. But what we're doing is we're fishing where we've got about 18 to 24 inches of visibility off the shoreline and maybe 30 yards of vis, you know, laterally along the shoreline. But as we're coming up to this little creek there's like a fucking explosion Boom. and I'm like, "Booya!" That
1: was a sploosh, not a splash.
0: That was a sploosh, not a splash. That's somebody fucking snacking. Mm-hmm. So we both went into on point kind of posture and I was like, just send it back in that, f- like that dude's eating." put the, and we were throwing a crab fly, put it in the game. You put it in there, and I was just like, long, slow strips, long, slow strips. And then every time you got to the point where I felt it was good to reset and cast, I'd say, 10 feet to the right. You'd pick it up, you'd send it 10 feet, you know, same distance back out, but you kind of stepped it, and we're like kind of slicing the pie.
1: Sure, absolutely.
0: And after we did that reset and recast like four or five times, I was like, all right, just reset yourself just go back to like condition 1 ready yep. you got one in the pipe you're fucking locked cocked ready to go and we just like chilled out we went into heron mode mm-hmm. where i stopped the boat
1: well you could just feel it it's that time of evening yes. where everything kind of settles down and then you can see like the predators are out yes and you that still kind of came around and it definitely got quieter but you can you can almost feel that electric like it's dinner time.
0: See, so you, you could feel it.
1: You could totally feel it. It changed. You know, the the wind got a little stiller. Just like the conditions changed, not dramatically, but subtly in like a choir mode. And you could tell like the eyes were out, like it was about to happen. You, you could feel it. It's that, you know, it's that, it's that magical hour people talk about. The sun was going down. Everything was kind of just settling in. And you could be like, all right, now we've got all the jitters are gone. We're in production mode now. And it was just like everything, everything was just, you could feel it was, it was, we had a system lined up. We didn't talk that much. You, no. you, you gave me some great coaching and adjusted me where I needed to be adjust, but we kind of, we both got like what you need to do, what I need to do, and then we did it.
0: So I would say at that point we had focus. Absolutely. So there's not a lot being said. We're, the, the boat, I've stopped pulling the boat. We're like kind of.
1: Just stalking.
0: Just stopped Mm -hmm. because we know that we just we we know that a redfish just ate there, and I'm actually seeing a redfish back way out of casting range up against the shoreline, and then I'm seeing a push that I know is a redfish, and once I saw a little bit of a back and a tail, I called it out to you. You sent it. Strip, strip strip
1: boom the textbook man it was like everything you were supposed to do everything i was supposed to do and we got together and did it so and felt good the magic happened felt good
0: dude i'm telling you what from the back of the skiff being able to watch you put all the pieces together Uh, and go tight and i have to tell you you strip set that fucking fish about five times. I, was like, I, I even think I said, all right, you're good. You're, you're good. good. You're on, you're on. You're, go ahead and put him on the reel. I did. I said, put him on the reel and you did. I hopped down and I was like, that is a hooked fish. Just enjoy it. And I, you were pretty bent up. And I was like, if yeah. he wants to run, let him run. He's
1: hooked. Enjoy it for a minute. Yep, and I, and I needed that because after missing the first one by not who knows, but not setting him enough, I think I was like, I want to make sure this is set. And then halfway through that, I was like, Have I set him enough? Did I set him too much? Yeah, you, and you, you got him. Pretty and I, good. I needed that little bit of hey, hey, notch it down a minute. You're on. You got this. Yeah. Let's take a second here and enjoy what we're doing because this is what we came here for. Yeah. Exactly this moment. So.
0: So. So you you did a fine job fighting the fish. You brought the fish alongside the boat. We landed it, and man, that little fucker
1: beautiful. He
0: ate that fly. Oh, it that was, fly it was, was done, all yeah. the way back in the crushers. So we gave him a little skiff ride. <laughs> yes, yeah, we did, and got we, we actually had to call a timeout. And what what, what did I tell you? Yeah. I said go ahead, put the fish back they, in the water. Give him a break for a second. Just hold him. I got to get some pliers out because, you know, here's the thing. We appreciate those redfish. We appreciate the fact that they're giving us that little moment of joy. Absolutely. So if we can be respectful of that redfish and just, like, allow him a chance to fucking, I mean, that redfish, not that they're cognizant of it, but, you know, the fucking guy thinks he's dying, right? Oh yeah, you know, he's, Something's he's seriously by wrong. Aliens yeah. at this point. He is it's arrest. an alien grab.
1: It's hundred percent alien abduction. <laughs> he, he's they he's, he's expecting to, never
0: going to believe him. He's expecting to see Elvis and fucking Bigfoot. Yep. yep. And we just gave him a little moment to chill. I got some pliers out, pop that fly out. No big deal. And you asked me, and I fucking love the fact that you asked me. You're like, are we going to need to revive him? And I was like, you know, it's summer. The water's pretty fucking hot. So, yeah. And as you eased him back in the water, I was mid-sentence saying, just lock your middle finger and your thumb together to hold him around the tail. You're going to let – and he's going to tell you when he's ready as soon as yeah. you put it back in the water, yeah. he kicked out of your hand. I put him in there. I had a little grip on his tail, and he just squirted right out. And you're like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I was like, "No, dude. Yeah, if he was mugged. if yeah. he was ready to fucking go, he's ready to go. He
1: was gone. Yeah. And He was. Yeah. He he was, out, so.
0: he was good. He was good to go.
1: No, nah, it felt good. It was just a gorgeous fish. The grunting in my hand. You know, I don't have these freshwater fish. Don't grunt in yeah. my hand. And it yeah. was well. It was pretty. A neat. Red
0: fish is a red drum. He wasn't grunting. He was drumming. drumming. Okay. He was drumming. Uh, in in you know, I'm sure I'll get corrected if I'm wrong, but <laughs> my understanding is the males are the ones that drum. So you had, you had a little buck
1: there. There you a, go. Little, a little dude. You know, it was just, it felt so good, and it's just, it's a beautiful place to be. And it just, that added to, it, it just, you know, the weight's off your shoulders, but, you know... That first one, I'm glad we didn't catch that first one because that would have been, A, too easy. It would have been like, oh, this is nothing, man. You just chuck a line, you're you're (laughs) done. And if that fish don't eat, the guy behind him eats it. It's no problem.
0: So I've got a really good friend, uh, Bill Nosen. And uh, Bill's one of the guys that I I cut my teeth with um, in the Mosquito Lagoon, fly fishing. And Bill always describes these moments that we're fishing and, and, and we... See a fish and we're focused on that fish regardless of whether we catch that fish or not Bill would always like fucking look back at me with like this devil may care twinkle in his eye and he'd be like heart in my fucking throat Uh. and that still to this day is the feeling I get whether I'm on the fucking front or on the back it's like All of a sudden, all this sensory overload is happening. You're focused on this fucking goal, this prize, and you know that everything has to happen exactly the way it needs to, to fool a fucking animal with a brain the size of my pinky fingernail. Yet, here we are, on edge, totally absorbed in the moment. And you know what I love about it? That's my moment. I'm not thinking about anything no, else. It's the fucking escape of the century. It's I just, love it. It's
1: just you're so laser focused on this one thing, this one moment, and you're just you're narrowed into it. And that, to me, what is fly fishing, that's the, that's the medicine of fly fishing right there, is that it just everything else pales. Everything else just goes away. The edge is all blurred, and you just have this one goal, and you couldn't put another thought in there if you wanted to at that point. Yeah, You just fish on, and everything else disappears. Problems, troubles, happiness, anything. It's just that it's that is what fly fishing, that is the pure medicine of fly fishing, is you're just, nothing can penetrate that moment. You are 100% in the moment. I really, truly haven't found anything. Maybe good sex would be, uh, it's truly, you know, and a bomb could go off when you're in, in, in bed with a beautiful woman. And I think that is the only thing that compares to that moment of fishing when the fish is on everything happens the way you want it to happen you fooled mother nature you have a fish on the line and there is there's not another thought in your brain that can get into it it, not it does nothing else exists in the singular world singular fucking but that focus. moment. and that is that's why I fish that's 100% why I fish and i understand with you pulling and me on the front when i'm rowing guys in my boat they're like an extension of me and you yes. you're, you're they're like my third hand out there and you you're putting yourself through your fisherman on your bow and it, you are connected in a way that you are like symbiotic relationship here to the point where you're a one yes and, and it's and I, I get the joy of the guy catching a fish on my boat because we did it. Yes. And, and, and I'm selfish in that moment because I'm plural like... Plural possessive I pronoun. put you here. I, we did it. We worked together on this. And I get that same joy. That guy's maybe his first fish is thousands of fish. It doesn't matter. But that joy we share is, is like equal. It's a bond. Oh, 100%. So that takes us to... Who
0: the fuck is Mike Johnson? <laughs> you, you've said it. You, you know you've got. You usually are spending time in a drift boat, right?
1: Yep, absolutely, yeah. And you're from. Uh, so I'm the state of Wisconsin, which is uh, you know definitely no salty, unsalted Wisconsin, right? But um, so what I do is um, we all have skills, and we don't realize these are skills. That's that's the one thing that I as as I get older I realize that we do these things that we think are easy that which you know you open a drawer pull out a knife well someone that's never opened a drawer to pull out a knife can, you can't explain it to them they don't understand it but it's a simple motion that you do a million times a day it's nothing to you but someone that's never done it before we're like how'd you get it how'd you open that drawer where'd you get that knife and fishing is something it's a gift you can give because we've been doing this a long time we understand it's like second nature to us. But someone that's never done it, never seen it, it's a gift you can give someone, and it fills my heart with joy to pass that gift on. And it's important to me what I do, so I'm the program lead of Veterans on the Fly. And Veterans on the Fly is through Trout Unlimited's Veterans Service Partnership. And we take veterans fishing, we teach them fly fishing. Strictly fly fishing orientated. All winter long, we tie flies at the VA. So fly tying. Fly tying. And another thing, which I think is this exact same thing, that feeling when you have a fish on, you're laser focused, nothing else is, no problems, no worries, no concerns. I think fly tying is that same kind of process where you're in the moment, you're doing something that you have to be so focused on that you forget everything else. And all your troubles fade away. And I see my vets; those troubles go away. They're laser focused on doing one thing. It's a task. There's a recipe. It's it's a it's just a fantastic feeling. It's the same feeling you get by having a guy in your bow catch a fish. Is giving a guy here do this? Here's this material. You wrap it like this, and it's a teamwork. It's same kind of thing. But they make a fly at the end of the day. They've created something from nothing. Now you it's that same feeling.
0: You and I obviously we've spent the weekend. Um, And and, and obviously, our discussions have gone a lot deeper than we'll probably ever get on this podcast. But, you know, even if it's only, and I hate to use if only, learning to tie flies. Sure. There's guys who have come and been part of your program, continue to be part of your program that probably won't ever go and spend too much time on the river, the lake, the stream fishing, just tying flies.
1: Just tying flies.
0: Is something that allows them to take the static away, Mm -hmm. the stress whatever it is that clouds their mind that prevents them from having joy and happiness and it's blocked out For an hour, two hours, whatever it is, the time that they're spending with you and your group, and they're focused on the process, and they go from a bare hook, and they assemble these materials, and they wrap some thread, and they give it that loving care, and they build and create this fly.
1: Mm Mm-hmm very true
0: and it's so fucking amazing to me that something so simple can actually be so therapeutic and so healing to an individual and they might not even ever look at it as now I want to tie this onto a leader and actually catch a fish that in and of itself was enough for them correct to allow them the
1: space to get some joy out of life. Some joy, it's, it's something from nothing. It's, it's a mission. You, you know, I'm, I'm not a veteran, but I work with so many veterans, I see how they operate. And I have an insight to how they operate. And you can see them, that they have a task to perform. And, and, and a military man needs a task, they need a goal. And you can give them something as simple as, here's the recipe, this is what we're doing, here's the techniques, and they groove on that. They understand that method. And watching a guy go from just a bunch of material they've never seen before, what is a peacock curl? I don't know what a peacock curl. Is. It says peacock curl. Well, this is a peacock curl, and it's neat explaining these things that, like again, we take for granted. We've seen them a million times, right? But they, it's it's great giving them the recipes because fly, fly tying is a simple thing. It's a recipe. It's like baking a cake. You add one egg. You add a cup of flour. Well, there's peacock curl. There's there's a, a turkey biat. There's a bead. You know, here's a here's a, some schlopping. And they all have goofy, funny names. And it's exactly that you have a recipe when you tie a fly. Right. And so it's all laid out for them. There's the materials. There's the recipe. And to watch a guy go from a bear hook to something and be like, wow. And it it just brings me joy to watch a guy that's never tied before. Tie this pretty intricate fly, finite motor skills, and then put it in his box like a treasured gem. Mm -hmm. And he may never fish it. But I tell you what, my guys that come every week, they have those boxes with them. And they're all laid out neat because those are the flies they tied.
0: They created.
1: Yep and it's a it's a treasure to them and it's it's fantastic
0: now the interesting thing you're you're a military brat your father was in the navy correct my father was an air force guy and i've heard my father tell the story dozens of times that you know he served in the air force for 21 years and retired but leading up to his retirement the air force to their credit has done a lot of studying and, and understanding of what happens to our personnel after the air force. And he actually had to go and sit, I guess you could call it a class. It was definitely like a seminar or or, where they said, and they were really raw about it. They're like, You're about to retire from the United States Air Force. You've been active duty for 20-plus years. And if you don't learn how to manage your life and come up with something to fucking do, your life expectancy is about six years max. Wow. And this is them talking to a 40-year-old. And they're like, it's because you've been part of a culture for... 20 years of this is what you do. You get up at this time, you go and do this thing and then you go do that thing. And then, and then all of a sudden, if that's all stripped away and it's like, what am I supposed to do all day? So they were very big on, you need to find some hobbies and you need to find some activities and some stuff to do. And you need to almost treat it like work.
1: You need to show up, participate. Yeah, put the work in. Put the work learn, in. Learn the skill. Yeah.
0: So every time I see, you know, your group or a Project Healing Waters group or, or, you know, there's there's hundreds of groups out there that service veterans, I always somewhere back in my mind think, God, this is great because I've heard my dad tell that story so many times. It really is a process and a thing that people can learn, and it becomes something that they can do and be committed to. Correct. And it becomes a habit, and the habit becomes something that they're better and better at. Because just like the fly fishing part of it, moving away from the fly tying, it's repetitive it's building muscle memory and the same motor skills you know i get it all the time and i'll be at a job and you know it's idle chit chat you know what are you doing this weekend i'm going oh yeah i love fishing i'm like well i fly fish i I always like to just fucking get it out there before somebody's like oh we need to hook up and go fishing i'm like i fly fish like 99.999 percent of the time and i always get i mean Universally, they're like, "Oh man, uh, 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 blue, fly fishing—that's yeah. like pretty hard." And I was like, "I always my my answer standard. I always use the golf analogy. I'm like, you know, it's really not hard, but you have to be committed to it. You've got to practice. If you don't, it's a skill that you've got to be on
1: it and not rusty." And and they're like, it can be frustrating. That's the hard part. And and when you people get frustrated, they put it down. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why you get can get twenty five dollar, five hundred dollar rods at garage sales, right? Because people, oh, I want this. I want to do this. And they try. They go to the water. They tried for ten minutes and it doesn't work. And they're like, well, this was that's that's garbage. But the the biggest thing is you got to practice like with anything. I I tell all my guys, we have these. we, we call all our fishing days casting clinics. Mm-hmm. because we're just we're learning to cast, and we happen to be fishing at the time, but we wanted you to take the skill out and fish yourself. Right. We want to be there to fine-tune you, to help you out, so you don't get frustrated with it. And I, I tell everybody, I said, just practice in your backyard. Get the frustration, get the aggravations out in your backyard. Find a little chunk of land, somewhere you can backcast, somewhere you can throw, and get all that aggravation, all that buck fever out on your front lawn, so when you get in the water, you're not back at ground zero. I mean, and and the biggest thing is everybody's like, oh, I just watch a video on YouTube. And everybody does everything. Oh, I know how to fix my car. I watched a video on YouTube. Well, until you actually go and do it, it doesn't, you don't have that, you have a, a visual idea of it, but you don't, your arm doesn't know what to do. So the best thing people can do is take a casting class, go to your fly shop. That's what fly shops are for. That's the magic of fly shops is you can take a casting lesson at a fly shop. And especially beginners starting out, you know, take that casting lesson, even just one lesson. I mean, it's it's the cost of nothing, and 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 that's what we do with our vets is like we're here to give you the skills and fine tune you so you can take the skill and run with it and make it your own because a cast is like a golf swing. There's the basics, there's the one, two, three, four, but everyone has their arm a little different. Some people their wrist hurts, they can't do it like that. Their their shoulder is messed up, they can't do it like that. So it's like everybody has their own tweak on what a fly cast is. But you have to have the basics off the bat or you get frustrated with it. And he put it down.
0: So when did you pick a fly rod up for the first time?
1: I picked a fly rod up, I want to say, I'm thinking about maybe 1990, 91. Okay. I was fishing with a friend of mine, and he had a fly rod. And I thought it was neat. I didn't know it about weights. I didn't know about anything else. I just saw the fly rod. Now looking back at it, it was you know, like a... Probably a a hardware store, $25 setup. Okay. But I was like, that's really neat. What were you guys fishing for? So we were just fishing for bluegill and stuff. Okay. So I kind of cut my teeth on bluegill. I mean, you're talking lob cast, nothing fancy. No, he didn't even know how to do it. He just had the fly rod. I think he got it from his dad or a friend or something. But he just handed it to me. I didn't have a rod that day, so that was the rod I used. And so we caught bluegill with it. I'm like, oh, that is great. Well, then I moved a little further up towards the Wisconsin border, And we have these great rivers that giant salmon and steelhead run in, just like Alaska. I was like, I thought you had to go to Alaska to see this. And here's these giant three-foot salmon running up the rivers. And I see guys fly fishing for them. So I'm like, well, I got a fly rod. I'm going to do this. And so I think it was the second fish I ever got into snapped that fly rod right in half because it was some old you know, probably a four, weight fiberglass. You didn't even know that there was a different fly rods. I probably. know I probably had mono on the thing. I probably didn't have proper fly line, or the fly line was probably 20 years old on the thing. And I was like, oh, my God, that was fantastic. And so that's when I went out and purchased myself, you know, like a $100 St. Croix rod, basic issue, nothing dramatic, just to, to get me into the sport. Okay. And that was probably the craziest purchase I ever made because it was all downhill from there. But I got that, and, and I, I think I fished for a long time. Because back when I started, there was no YouTube. There was no internet. There were fishing clubs, but I didn't know about them because I, there was no way of knowing about them. So it was all trial and error. And I fished over the top of fish for probably six months. My wife even said to me, she's like, if you don't bring home a fish, I, I, I don't believe you're doing this. You, you go fishing all the time, but you never catch a fish. What is your problem? I think I bumped into somebody in the river, and he's like, "Oh, you're fishing on top. You got to get these flies down. The the fish aren't up top of the water. They're they're down in the water." So I think the next time I went, I threw a couple split shots on. Got the fly down. I remember coming home. My wife was in the shower, and I pulled open the shower door, and I stuck a three foot king salmon at her. And I said, "Fish, there you go. Did it." And she was like, "Get that damn thing out of my house!" (laughs) But uh, but but it worked, and I and I was hooked at that point. I mean. You catch a king salmon out of fly rod, especially as like one of your first. I mean, I caught bluegill and stuff on it, but you catch a king salmon out of fly rod, you're kind of ruined. You're just you're really ruined. I mean,
0: yeah, I would say going from, you know, even the most studly bluegill that you could ever tie into, yeah, versus a uh, 36 inch king salmon. There's just a little yeah. little um what we call that quantum leap. Yeah, in, it was in pleasure,
1: and that and I was completely that was done. I was dumb. And then someone told me there were Steelhead in there. And I'm like, what's a Steelhead? And then the neatest thing for me is I I, I don't know how even how I bumped into them. There was a great club up in Milwaukee. It no longer exists because those clubs are kind of the way of the dodo right now. But it was Milwaukee Lake and Stream Flyfishers. And I stumbled in there, was in the back of a bar, all these old guys in funny hats were talking about things I never heard of before. But we just had a great time. And and what I know now is that was like that was like a who's who of Wisconsin fly fishing. We did so many wonderful things. They would have presentations. And I think our dues were like 20 bucks a year. We had a hard copy newsletter. But people would get up and talk about things. There'd be a tying demonstration. A guy would build rods. Like I was telling you today, I think there was a guy that came in. I can't remember his name. I'll remember it one day. But he wrote a book called Deep Trout. And he was a professor at the University of Wisconsin. And it was a whole thing on why we fly fish, why we fly fishermen. And he talked about something about that suspension of disbelief. Because a fly fisherman truly has to believe, I'm going to catch a fish on this cast. Then the next one, no, I'm going to catch a fish on this cast. Then the next one, no, I'm going to catch a fish on this cast. So you just fool yourself every time. It's called the suspension of disbelief. Every cast you make, you make a 1,000 class, and you tell yourself and everyone I'm going to catch a fish on this cast. I'm going to catch a fish on this cast. And you just, it's, 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 that is the moment that is, that is bringing yourself into that moment because you truly have to think and believe that this cast, I'm going to catch a fish on.
0: I started writing an article that I was hoping to submit to the Drake. And it's basically the parallels between fly fishing and skateboarding.
1: Oh, yes.
0: And what you just described, I kind of talked about in the article that, I, that I've been working on is fly fishing like skateboarding is the absolute shunning of and suspension of the idea of failure you may make a cast and not catch a fish but it's not a failure it just means there's another opportunity and you know if anybody's been around skateboarding especially now with skateboarding with the the focus on video and you know getting a trick on uh you know to to put on youtube or or instagram or whatever one more try, one more try, one more try. Yep. Oh, one more try. And it's like the suspension of failure. It's like, it's not that you didn't make the trick. It's just you're going to try again to get the trick. And you may do it in five tries. You may do it in 5,000 tries. And it's the suspension of disbelief.
1: Yep.
0: It's, I am here, I am going to catch a fish, and every time you cast, you have that belief. And that's fucking awesome. Yeah. So, how old were you? Do you think? Do you do you do you remember? Like, what? How? What was your age when you went to those meetings and like actually heard that guy talk?
1: So I was probably twenty five, and I was probably I was probably one of the younger guys there. All the other guys were in their probably late fifties. A lot okay. of them retired. And but it it was uh it was a unique experience because it was it was like still the age of mentorship. There was no. You couldn't learn anywhere else other than the Jedi Masters. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, and there was a, these dusty books in the library that you could look at, but they only told you so much. And, and this, was, this was obviously way before, like, hey, I'll just look it up on YouTube. Correct. Okay. But there were, there were guys that truly mentored, and that's something that is really important to me, is passing on what I know. Because there's a lot of things that aren't in books that aren't on YouTube, but even subtle things, and I get surprised a lot of times, too, when I'm, I'm teaching guys or working with guys in the river. You know, they're like, wait, wait, how'd you do that? What was that tool you just used? Mm -hmm. And there's things like we said before where you just do them out of second nature. This is, well, this is how you tie a fly on, of course. But there's some people you can truly amaze with the simplest thing because they've never seen it before. So
0: let's go back 40 minutes ago when we were on the skiff together. You asked me, what are you looking at? What are you scanning? Where are you looking If I'm watching a YouTube video about how to catch redfish in Mosquito Lagoon, I don't care if it's Willie Lee, if it's Justin Price, if it's John Turcott that did the video. I don't get the opportunity to ask him that question. Yep. Right. So, you and I were talking yesterday at some point about kind of the the death knell that's ringing when it comes to organizations and like fly fishing clubs and specifically not picking on them but like TU
1: it's tough yeah
0: you go to a TU chapter meeting not every one of them but most everybody that you talk to it's like a room filled with filled with older guys that are really into parliamentary procedure and entomology, um, you know, and and very, like, not disinteresting, but, like, hard-to-be-interesting topics versus understanding what you're talking about and I think is fucking genius of mentorship. Yeah. And... You know, if if an organization like TU, that's tip of the cap, man. They're they're like, they're well established. They've done amazing work. They're continuing to do amazing work. But if they don't recalibrate, yeah. If and the analogy just came to me. So, TU and I, I i'm saying this without knowing for sure what their membership numbers are and sure.
1: levels are just by observation
0: only just by observation only i'm going to guess that they're
1: declining you, know, you know, definitely you know and but the one i'd say the one shining star okay that i see especially with tu is the women okay the women's group um the women they have the women's clinics women's only clinics And I see that as the shining star of they're doing something right because they're full. There's a waiting list to get on these things. And that's the part of TU that I don't know how we can transfer that. Hold
0: on, hold on. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to address it right here, right now. So if somebody happens to be from TU and you're listening, get your fucking pen out because I'm going to change your calculus. What you've done to attract women to the sport is what you should be doing to attract new anglers to the sport. Correct. And here's what I mean. It's a male-dominated, patriarchal sport. It has been, it always will be. But somebody at your organization realized there's a lot of fucking really cool women out there that are enjoying this sport and want to be supported in this sport and want to learn more about the sport and become better at this sport and kick the shit out of the guys asses in this sport. It's true. So, what did you do to you? Yeah, how did that exist because You changed the fucking fly. Huh? If you're fishing a run and you know that there's 25 brown trout in this pool and you don't get a hit you don't get a hit you don't get a hit you change flies you don't get a hit you don't get a hit you change flies and now you're fucking whacking them every time through Yeah. you gotta do that with your fucking you change membership
1: change your fucking flies no it's true you got a whole box of flies if you're just fishing and, the same fly because that's when you've always fished And and you know what the fly that's helping you with
0: bringing women into the sport, I love it. Fucking tie a few more. Yeah. But you're going to have to find the right fly to bring the young crowd back into it.
1: No, it's That's, uh, that's the
0: true. fucking key. And to know that you have to change, change is inevitable. I want to see TU continue to succeed. And I do like seeing the younger crowd coming into the game. It's it's refreshing. They have a new perspective. They have...
1: They're, they're shaking up the system. They're
0: not yeah. jaded. Yep. They're not like, oh, it has to be this way. Yep. They're like, fuck it, man. I'm having fun, and this is what I'm trying, and oh my God, this is working. And then you hear about it, and you're like, you did what? And Yeah. You, well, what? Yep. It's 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 great.
1: It, it's great, and I think it's. I think they're on the edge of doing something. I mean, I, I know they still do. They do a ton of like school outreaches and stuff. They yeah. they have these programs, but these programs are twenty years old that they're right. working off of. But this women program, probably in the last five ten years max, and they're, they're like I said, it, all they're full. There's a waiting list. I mean, they're actually charging money for these because. They can. They're they, so popular. They can, right? And you know, obviously, it's a better program when you're charging versus not charging. You've got better equipment. They're getting, you know, a bunch of equipment gifted to them. So it's it's kind of a push on what you're getting for your dollar. It's not going to instructors or something. It's just it's going to equipment that they're they're providing in the kit. But it's it's like they're doing something right with that, and you just maybe need to turn the knob a little bit and, and include everybody in that in that that same
0: change your fucking fly,
1: change your fly, man, change
0: your fly. All right, so. You've caught that salmon, you showed Amy, you got told, get the fucking fish out of the shower. <laughs> where where did you go from there?
1: So I, I went right to the, the apex predator. Fishing for salmon, there were a couple guys that, it, it were, and, and these were all meat fishermen back in the day, pulled out a steelhead. I was fishing for salmon. I thought salmon were the biggest fish you ever saw, biggest fish I ever caught. You know, I was raised, my dad caught me, I got every blue bluegill and bullhead there ever was that was fishing for me, caught a three-foot salmon, and I thought that was pretty awesome. Then I saw a guy with a steelhead, and I said, oh, what is that? That's a steelhead, that's the biggest trout they make, and I said, oh, I, I got to be a steelhead fisherman now, because after you catch a few salmon, especially in the rivers, you know, they're kind of big and dumb and coming up to die, and they fight, but they fight like a little bit of a garbage bag on your line. They, they don't run and jump. And I saw a guy catch a steelhead, and I thought, oh, my God, what is that? And uh, that truly took me on a path. And so didn't catch one, didn't catch one, and we were on a little trip with my wife up to Traverse City for a little Valentine's Day trip. And we little were, little uh, Michigan. Little Michigan. So, we yeah, we, we took a trip up to Michigan to Traverse City, and just as a kind of a, a happy uh, Valentine's Day weekend with my wife, and uh, on the way up is uh, the Pierre Marquette River Lodge. And I said, I want to stop in here and, and, and check this place out. I heard this is where you catch steelhead. So I pulled in, and it was just, it, you know, back in those days, it was, this is probably maybe, now we're talking maybe 97, 98, somewhere right in there. Okay. And uh, I go in there. Here's a guy all decked out in Filson and double jackets and, and all the flies and all the these big reels that I really hadn't seen before, and rods. And I thought, oh wow, this is something else. And I, I talked to the guy for a while, and he goes, yeah, that's what we do. You know, they, you know, they'll be they're running about in a month or so. They'll this is the season. So, so I said, all right, great. And so I, I booked my first trip. And I, I talked to a, a, I was electrician at the time, and I, I talked to another electrician buddy of mine. I said, hey, I'm going to do this trip. It's a little pricey, but, but this is this is how they do it. They do it out of boats and. And there you go. And we just had a fantastic guide put us on a fish. I uh, Maybe not even a quarter way through our first day, I had caught my first steelhead. And did it on a bobber on an indicator rig. And oh, my God, it ran. It jumped. It jumped again. It ran. And I never had, you know, I'd seen like, you know, Flip pallet maybe catching big fish like that on, on TV. i never even experienced anything like that, a fish that would take line right. and run like that. I mean, the salmon... Took a little line, but they were just kind of being big and dumb. But the steelhead had a mission, had a purpose. It was an athlete. I it was hot. Not. Yeah. Oh, my God. I caught that fish and I still have that picture. Chromed out? Oh, no. It was a little dark. It had been in the water okay, for been a while, in the, but been nice in there. and just a big red stripe, big, you know, kite mouth. Oh, big there you hook. Go. I mean, I still have that picture. I'm probably 150 pounds lighter in that picture. <laughs> but the smile on my face is still there, just like it was today with that redfish. It's just like, all that weight has been lifted off you and you've accomplished something and you've, you've tricked Mother Nature and, and held Mother Nature in your hands. And, and you know, I, I never really did a lot of murdering a fish. I mean, I love eating fish. The fish are delicious. But letting that steelhead go, he, he unhooked it for me. I got my picture taken with it. And he's just, you know, hold him there till he's ready to go and revive him. And that steelhead just slipped out of my hands in a way. And that smooth fish running through my hands and going back into the river was just, I was done. I was a steelheader from there on out. I mean, that was the one that really... Yeah,
0: you've been, you've been fucking uh, dialed into it. It's oh, like, it's
1: just... I mean, I, I love Driftless it's, Trout. I love Little
0: the, Trout. It's the pilgrimage, right? Well, it's
1: just everything about it, the going there, the mission, the getting everything together, the staying at the lodge, all that kind of builds up. And now, you told
0: me a story on the skiff this afternoon. Um,
1: you took your buddy. Yeah, and my buddy and, Jimmy, my great buddy Jimmy Reardon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jimmy was fantastic. Another electrician friend of mine, and, and I, uh, we were sitting at the break table, and he walked in the morning and said, hey, man, do you ever fly fish? He goes, I got this little Cabela's kit, and I've been catching panfish all day, and I love it. And my, my buddy had went with originally steelheading. He had just had his first baby, and, and going on a steelhead trip was definitely not in the cards for him. So I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking for someone to go on a trip with me. Um, that's a real special place in Michigan, you, you would love it. And he goes, ah, I've, been to, I've been to Canada, I caught millions of fish, I, I've done those trips. I said, eh, this is a little different, you've never been in a drift boat before, this is, this is something special. And he was kind of hemming and hawing, and I, and I knew, being at his house a few times, he had this beautiful shotgun sitting over the mantelpiece. So I said, Jimmy, here's the story. I said, you give me that shotgun and I'll buy your trip. And we'll call it even, no cash out of your pocket, you just hand over that shotgun, I mean, I'll, I'll buy your trip. So I said, okay, you're on. And so we're fishing. He's enjoying it. It was a nice ride to Michigan. We're just bullshitting. We get to the lodge. He's enjoying the lodge. He's experienced those kind of things before, so it was really nothing big to him. But he never experienced a drift boat. So we both got in a drift boat. I was in the front. He was in the back. And I'm a bit of a talker. I got a little bit of the gift of gab. And, And Jimmy Reardon, being a little Irishman, he's got a big gift of the gab. And we got in that boat, and he was sitting in the back seat, and I didn't hear a peep out of him. Just quiet as a church mouse behind me. And we when we get in the water, we roll maybe for a half hour, 45 minutes to start getting to the spots. And that whole time he was just quiet. And I turned around and said, Jimmy, did you follow the boat? I don't hear you back there. He goes, Oh man, this is nice. I said, Yeah, Jimmy. It's so I said, it's almost romantic. If you we were holding hands, it'd be romantic. Getting, <laughs> getting, rowed, getting rowed down by the river. But um we pulled out at our first spot and I've been doing it for a little while, so I was pretty good at it. And sighted some fish, and jumped out and caught one, got my picture taken with it, and had another couple on, and then was enjoying myself. And our, my guide was spending a little more time with Jimmy, because Jimmy really didn't know how to get the drift down. His, his roll cast wasn't that great, but he got him fishing pretty good. And we kind of just let him to his own, you know, wiles for a while. And so after a while, I walked up behind him. I said, hey, man, how's it going? And he goes, oh, man, I, I'm liking this. It's beautiful, but, but you know, there's got to be some fish behind this log. I said, Jimmy, That's not a log. He goes, What do you mean, this log right here? I said, Jimmy, that's a hen. And one, two, three, four, five males stacked up behind her. I said, Jimmy, that's fish. That's not a log. I said, Take a one big step back and make that same cast. So he takes a big step back, makes that roll cast in there. Boom. Buck comes out of line, clobbers that thing, takes off, runs up the river, runs down the river. He's all excited. He grabs the reel to kind of stop it. Bink. He comes off and I mean, oh, he had the biggest smile on his face. His heart was racing. He goes, oh, my God. I said, yep. I said, he goes, oh, all right, I get this now. I'm in. I'm in 100%. And uh, later that trip, we got him his first steelhead, and uh, it was just magical. Jimmy Reardon was just a fantastic friend of mine, great guy, love him to death. And uh, that, was just a, that was just one of the, the start of many trips we had made together um, to that lodge then. All right. So what's awesome to me, how, how many years ago was that? Oh shit, this is probably at least ten years ago.
0: I believe I'll tell the story of Mike Johnson catching his first (laughs) redfish ten years from now. I love it. With the same passion and vivid memory that you just told that Steelhead story. Wow. And that is what is special to me about. Being cheesy I guess this brotherhood oh, yeah. that we form when we go afield on the water whether it's an estuary whether it's a river an alpine lake a creek or a fucking farm pond with bluegill absolutely and we've got to figure out a better way to get more people exposed to the idea of Doing this because people being outside and understanding the joy that the outdoors, specifically through fly fishing, that what it brings to the soul, like video games and watching YouTube videos and all that stuff is, it has its place. Sure. But man, Nobody's going to tell a story 10 years later about no, how they so slayed true. level 5. No, so On true. whatever. And, and 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 like watching you tell the story, you were there just a moment uh, ago. Oh, you were fucking
1: there. I can see it. Looks like it was yesterday, absolutely. Yeah. And that's you know that's a special thing that comes back to the mentorship. That comes back to to like the experience. And the the best thing about that is You know, playing a video game, you don't get that connection with nature, number one. But then you don't become a steward of it. When you have an experience like that, that's a treasured place for you. Yes. And you guard that like there's no tomorrow. That's my story. And if that river was in trouble, I'd be the first one standing in line with a gun defending that river because that's my memory. That's my story. That's my river.
0: That's that special place that needs to be preserved. To honor your memory, but to preserve it so that other people can create the same type of memory sometime in the future. So I think we're going to go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we're going to take a little bit deeper dive into who is Mike Johnson. (laughs) break. Got uh, fresh Devil's Backbone. Devil's Backbone tasty suds. Yeah. A little striped bass ale. Courtesy of uh, Jack Scott up in uh, Northern Virginia. Thank you, Jack. We're enjoying it. So, Mike, you have had uh, a pretty varied, um, varied. life. Varied and uh, some pretty unique experiences when it comes to employment. Very true. And one of the things that I think is the neatest thing that you've done is uh,
1: you used to run a freaking hot dog cart. Absolutely. You're looking to a uh, pedigreed graduate of the Hot Dog University from Vienna Beef. Um, I, uh, I worked construction for 25 years. I'm a union journeyman, wireman, electrician second generation my dad is an electrician as well and uh back in the day when things got slow around 2009 there was just no more work and so uh wife has a pretty good job she's smart cookie she's a, a chemist and uh a very good one at that and um so she was towing the line and and bringing home the bacon for us and i was taking care of the family and and uh I needed something to do. Uh, The money was okay. Money wasn't tight or anything, but I needed something to do that that I enjoyed. And um, I didn't really need to pay too many bills with the thing. I just needed to find something to do to bring home some money and and, uh, do something other than sit and watch TV and hang out with my dogs. So a friend of mine, uh, Mark Reitman, who uh, works for Vienna Beef, he's a retired teacher. And he had his own hot dog university for a while. And then Vienna Beef kind of said, you need to come work for us. And I know Mark Reitman back in the day when I used to uh, play with cars, race cars. He was my first uh, BMW instructor on Road America. And I knew him, and his son's a fantastic guy. His son works for the Tire Rack out in Indiana, all super motorsports people. But Mark was a hot dog genius, and he had a hot dog cart called... A hot dog genius. hot dog genius. He, um, he's the guy you go to in the United States to learn how to do a hot dog cart, maybe open a hot dog restaurant. And he knows how to get you set up, how to do it. And he is literally, people come from across the country to take his classes in Chicago. We think he does them out in Arizona. And he just puts on the, he's a fantastic guy. He, um, he looks like almost Curly from the Three Stooges. Okay. And he is 100% a character, just the greatest guy, the most fun guy to hang out with. And he couldn't be a better hot dog guy. And um, so he's like, hey, man, you should, you should come to my class and, and take my class, come to Hot Dog University, and you, you'd love it. You'd be great for it. You got the personality for it. You know, hey, let's, let's do this. And so I talked to my wife. I said, hey, this sounds like fun. You know, it's not a, not a very expensive startup. And, and I'd be working for myself and making my own hours. And I, I love hot dogs. I, you know, I grew up in Chicago. So a Chicago dog to me is, is like the best comfort food on the planet. And so I said, yeah, let's do this. So um, got together with Mark. We did a, a session at the Hot Dog University, and proud graduate. And I got myself a hot dog cart. And uh, I was all around uh, Milwaukee for the most part. Um, my favorite place to be, I got a nice invite. Um, I was doing hot dogs in front of my buddy's distillery. And a guy walked up and said, hey, man, you need to call this lady. You do a great job. And and uh, she's looking for someone to be at, uh, at her place. And I said, oh, you know, what's her place? And she goes, well, it's Miller Brewery. I said, what do you mean Miller Brewery? She goes, oh, it's a brewery tour. They'd love to have you at the Miller Brewery. So I said, all right. So I called this lady up. And so for a couple days a week, for a couple summers, I was uh, the hot dog guy out in front of the Miller Brewery tour. And let me tell you what, those are the best customers in the world, because they're either going to get three free beers, or they just got three free beers. And uh, especially when there was a game in town, because Miller Brewery is right across the highway from Miller Park, and when there was a game in town, all those St. Louis Cardinal fans that came up to see the game wanted to get a Chicago hot dog from me, and uh, I had a great time doing it. It's a lot of fun. No one's in the bad mood getting a hot dog. Everyone's, uh, everyone enjoys a hot dog, and I did a pretty good job of it. I enjoyed it for quite some time, and... It was it was pain itself. It was fun, but it was a lot of work. I mean, waking up at five in the morning and cutting uh, thirty onions is not not a lot of fun. We kind of moved a little further west, a little further away from uh, Milwaukee and the places I could go to to make a a good buck on it. So I ended up, you know, stopping it and not doing it for a while. But I mean, I tell you what, I really really enjoyed being a hot dog guy.
0: So, the classic Chicago dog, mm-hmm. the
1: relish, green relish lily, I believe, is the proper term.
0: So how the hell do they get that relish, that color?
1: It is definitely unnatural color, for sure. Yes. But if it's not that green color, people don't trust it. Which no. Is, which is bizarre, because that, that color does not exist in nature. But if it doesn't it doesn't have that super green relish, people think that it's not a Chicago dog. It's not a Chicago dog. And the biggest secret ingredient that a lot of people miss is the celery salt. Celery salt is what you got to put on top, and that's what makes the dog. Okay. The celery and, salt is king. And it's it's like a poppy seed. Poppy seed bun, yep. A steamed, poppy seed. Steamed bun. Okay. And boiled hot dogs. Dirty, yes. They're called dirty water hot dog style. They're not grilled or fried. They are called dirty water style, where you, you don't bring them quite to boiling point, but you cook them thoroughly, warm them up entirely. But that hot dog water, it's, it makes the perfect hot dog. It,
0: it, it actually is part of the flavor. Yep, 100%. Yeah. So... We went to Chicago a few years back, and literally, it was my mission to get a proper Chicago dog. Oh. And we went to two or three different places, you know, because there's there's different there's different joints throughout Chicago, sure, and the that,
1: neighborhoods have their own little twist on things. Yeah. A hot dog with everything somewhere is not a hot dog with everything everywhere.
0: And and the thing that I remember about every one of my going to a, a joint where I got a, a dog. Was, it was fun. Yeah. Like, you know, there was a way to order it, and, like, they were, like, fucking happy to see you. And I was a hot dog ordering virgin, so it was, like, kind of fucking intimidating when you walk in. But then they actually were, like... I'm not the first guy that's walked in from outside of Chicago that wants. And the, the, I'm sure it was like on my face, like, oh, fuck, I got to order this. And oh, like yeah. I'm going to look like a fucking asshole.
1: And there's places that will abuse you, though. The Wiener Circle oh. over on Clark will uh, will uh, just abuse. That's their shtick. Well, thank they, God they I didn't go in there. I, I
0: would have shut down.
1: It's really fun. I and mean, then you go to some places, there's a great place. My favorite hot dog place is Gene and Jute's. Over on River Road, just outside of town, on uh, Chicago, outside of Chicago, in a little suburb right there. Gene and Jude's hot dogs, look them up. Their hot dog with everything, I think, is just mustard, onions, and hot peppers, I think. And, oh, my God, it's everything. And don't ever ask for ketchup in Chicago. (laughs) you get murdered. If you're over the age of 17, you do not get hot ketchup on a hot dog. They will berate you. Most places won't do it. Places that do it will hand you a packet. They refuse to put it on the dog. They won't do it. (laughs) <laughs> They're like, if you really want to, here. Yeah, and, and there's other there's another side of the fence that says, hey, man, we're from Chicago. We can put whatever the fuck you want in your hot dog. You want a hot dog with ketchup? You get a hot dog with ketchup. So, But there's a whole thing, man. People will definitely look at you cross-eyed. You order ketchup on a hot dog.
0: So there's probably nothing more American than a good fucking hot dog. But a close second is a fucking hamburger or cheeseburger to die for.
1: Oh yeah. Have you ever like really taken a deep dive into <laughs> a good burger? So, uh, much to my wife's chagrin, uh, being an unemployed slash retired person, um, you have a little time on your hands. And so, uh, I had a couple friends that were teachers and they have a little time on their hands in the summertime. So there's no better way to spend an entire summer to drive around Milwaukee and finding the best hamburger joint and. uh, I can definitely say without a doubt uh, my favorite hamburg joint in Milwaukee. And there's, there's, you know, people wrestle over this this conversation, but uh, Oscars in Milwaukee. Oh, the Big O burger. Oh, it's got chorizo on it. It's, it's a special, special burger, the Big O burger. And uh, the big one is Sobelman's. So people, people going to, to Milwaukee, Sobelman's is a must have. The Sobelman burger, they make an SOB burger, which is four patties high four patties high ketchup mustard grilled onions grilled jalapenos cheddar cheese I think there's Swiss on there as well and American I believe on each slice Holy four shit. patties high the SOB and I can't do it I can do one or if I'm feeling good a double and I'll leave half of it on the plate but there what Sobelman's is known for is they're the originator of the insane Bloody Mary they do the Bloody Mary there with an entire fried chicken plus other things on the side It's it's called the the Bloody, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but the Ultimate Bloody or something like that, it literally has an entire deep-fried chicken, whole chicken, amongst probably 30 other things. They're basic issue Bloody So, Mary. So it's a meal. Oh, it's a, hundred, it's a meal for three or four. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. My wife will go there and order the Bloody Mary for lunch, and it comes with a side plate because you can't, you can't just snack off the thing. You have to remove it even to get to the Bloody Mary. It's absolutely fantastic. Milwaukee, if they do anything right, they do the Bloody Mary right. And uh, in Wisconsin, we're not afraid to uh, up the ante. And in Wisconsin, you order a Bloody Mary, you're going to get a beer back every time. And you're from, you're from out of town. People look at you like, I didn't order this little beer. And they're like, well, that's a beer back. And, they, and out of I've town, never heard of such a thing. Oh, you've got to be in Wisconsin. So a lot, of, a lot of states especially have rules where you can't serve someone two drinks. Like you can't serve when There's someone a shot of beer. Like in Illinois, you have to have a shot, then you can have a beer. They can't put two drinks in front of you. But Wisconsin, we're pretty lenient on the rules. Okay. So you always get it. We order a Bloody Mary in Wisconsin. You're getting a beer back. You either get a little baby beer in a can, or they'll hand you like a six ounce pour of beer. That's your beer back. Your chaser. For oh your Bloody wow! Mary. Yeah. So Milwaukee is a uh, it's a wonderful town with a little bit of a drinking issue, but uh, it's the best kind of way to be.
0: So uh, Wisconsin, known for. Uh
1: What's Wisconsin known for? Cheese. Cheese. Absolutely.
0: So um, we are the dairy
1: state, America's Dairyland. It says on our license plates. You are a, a,
0: a connoisseur of fine cheeses oh, and cheeses meats. And meats. You know,
1: um, Wisconsin is fantastic. You know, we we call it Wisconsin skinny, and I would be in the Wisconsin skinny club. And Wisconsin skinny means, means you ain't skinny. You got a couple little bit of meat on your bones. So we call that. Colloquially, wow, Wisconsin skinny. Oh, yeah, she's Wisconsin skinny. And uh, and we don't hesitate with the meats, the cheeses, the beers. And there's just, you know, it's a neat thing because, you know, it's almost like craft beer. Like, there, there's aficionados that, like, travel. We have a map. When you come across the border, you go to the tourist little visitor's center, there's a map. Wisconsin Dairyland Cheesemakers map. And there's, got, there's hundreds of different cheese makers. You can go right to the source and visit and look behind a little glass and watch them making cheese and then go to the gift shop and, and buy all cheese to your heart's desire. But we actually have a tourism map that has all the different cheese making places and you can visit them all.
0: So it, it, it's pretty much like akin to um, being in Sonoma Valley and oh, knowing exactly. where all the vineyards are. Exactly. Versus in Wisconsin you're going to know where all the dairies are and what their cheese specialty is. Um you you just came down this weekend. Um and and thank you from the bottom of my heart for making the trip down here for the dinghy Derby.
1: Um 18 hours I think you drove. Yeah, like 24 with rest stops. It's 1300 miles I think it in is.
0: Yeah. And uh, you came bearing gifts. You know, you, you, that's and my
1: favorite thing to do is you can't leave Wisconsin without traveling with its bounty.
0: Yes. And we fired up the Traeger this oh, evening. Oh, I love that Traeger, man. And we had
1: some brats that were fucking amazing. Good stuff, man. We had, yeah, the regular, we had some fresh brats with the fresh, just regular bratwurst seasoning, the traditional German German bratwurst, and then we had some uh, cheddar jalapeno jobs, oh, which are they were they're amazing, tasty, tasty stuff.
0: So, in your neck of the woods, to to throw a little Tennessee colloquialism out there, in your neck of the woods, um, you have different butcher shops and farms where you get the cheese, and you've you've gotten pretty dialed in to knowing. Where some of the best cuts of meat come from, you know, where the amazing cheese curds are from. And beyond that, like, you're encyclopedic (laughs) when it comes to, like, this place has this amazing. And one of the things that you told us about uh, uh, during lunch today was a fish
1: boil. Oh, the Wisconsin Dark County fish boil.
0: Door, Door County.
1: Door County is where it originated in. It was you know like a, it's almost like that um, Italian fisherman's do, the chippino, where everybody at the end of the day, and on the dock work, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the fishermen were Italian, and they brought their bycatch and stuff they couldn't sell, and everybody chipped it into a big pot and made it's called chippino. And I don't know if it comes from everybody chipping in, or that's where chipping comes from. I, I believe it's somewhere in that mix, but it's it kind of is comes from that. It's you know it's like a it's a poor man's meal. It's not a. It's not a fancy meal, but basically what they do, it's an outdoor event. And you go to Door County, and you can do it in the lowbrow. You can do it at the fancy B&Bs. They all have a little session. But you go outside. There's a wood fire going, a big kettle on top of it. They throw onions and potatoes in there, let them boil for a while, a bunch of salt in there. They bring a separate basket out, and they put in Wisconsin uh, whitefish, fresh-caught whitefish. So I believe it's like a a big herring. Um, But it's delicious. very mild fish, but a little bony and a little oily. So what they do is they throw that whitefish in, and then everyone gets their cocktail, gathers around, they hear the story of the fish boil, and they'll grab a big, like a small coffee can full of kerosene. And they'll chuck that kerosene at the you know, open fire underneath this this big pot, and it will boil over, hence the fish boil. And that boiling over, it superheats the water. Water boils over the top, steam goes everywhere, and you're boiling off all the oily taste of all the fish. And then right then they pop it out, Everybody goes, sits down at their table, and they start bringing around these, these awesome potatoes that have been boiling in that water, some onions on the side. They'll bring you some Door County cherry pie, which is fantastic. But the star of the meal is the whitefish, and they'll give you a little lesson on how to debone it. They break out some drawn butter, and oh, my God, it's fantastic.
0: Well, what's a, what was amazing to me is the idea that when they superheat that fire and it makes the, the cauldron boil over and you've got that flash of steam and it's like this big showy thing there's actually a purpose behind it you yeah. said it takes all the oils those fish oils and they get like because oil's floating on top gets expelled from yep. the pot
1: all that fishy taste and it away takes nice the clean yeah, yeah. The, like whoever
0: the whoever thought of
1: that it's like yeah. genius yes yeah, not someone inside that was making big money it's someone with a campfire that was eating dinner that's right figure that one out so uh you know, it's fun. It's, you know, it goes back to, like, all those, that, you, know, you know, like, you go to Tuscany and people want those, those farm foods and this brustic kind of food. And, you know, we have that culture in America, too, I think, you know, when more and more people are starting to embrace it, that there's these, like, little gems of of local food lore. And um, they really don't do it outside those areas. So that's what, you know, kind of encouraged me to travel and see things. It's just neat little things you can find that are like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Why doesn't everybody do this? But it's this little niche locale places that you can just, you know, get off the beaten path, get off the highway, go see some neat little spots. And uh, Door County is a real special place for us. We try to to head up to Door County. Door County is that little finger that sticks up out of Wisconsin, way up into Lake Michigan. You've got Green Bay on the left side of it and the west side, and then you've got Big Lake Michigan on the right, and uh, you want to catch a smallmouth. I'm telling you, there's smallmouth heaven up there. There's a lot of fun fish to be had up in uh, in Door County.
0: Now, you have in the past taken really good care of us and sent New Glarus, Ooh, spotted yeah. cow only
1: in Wisconsin that's S- her motto
0: so where the heck is New Glarus?
1: so New Glarus is uh, maybe 30 minutes south of Madison and um, it's this wonderful little Swiss town so it was originally settled by Swiss um, people from Switzerland and that's where the. I
0: fucking love Swiss cake rolls.
1: Oh, they, there's a bakery there that. Swiss cake rolls, probably, but Elephant Ears there is their specialty. But um, they, it's a very Swiss centric town. Uh-huh. Um, they have a wonderful place called the Glarner Strube that does this fondue, which is unbelievable. Homemade fondue right there. And then to me, the star of the show, they make a dish called a roostie. So imagine a potato pancake cooked in butter but infiltrated with Swiss cheese. Oh, oh, low calories, my friend. But yes. Oh, my God, the rooster. Wisconsin eaters. skinny, oh, motherfucker. Oh, Wisconsin skinny. So, New Glarus is this great little town. So, a, a great couple um, started out. Uh, he used to work, I think, for a bigger brewery, but wanted to change of pace from the corporate race. And um, they started brewing these wonderful fruit beers. Um, they got a lot of notoriety and a lot of fame. They started making it a little bigger, bigger, these big bottles of these fruit beers, and they still have these fruit beers, which are out of this world. Um, but they came up with the magic elixir of Wisconsin, which is the Spotted Cow. Spotted Cow is a farmhouse ale. And um, originally, when they started, like anybody, they wanted to sell beer, and they got a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and they started exporting to like Chicago and stuff. But it was such a hassle and so much red tape, and they were losing money on the whole deal, but still trying to get ahead. And they said, you know what? Screw it. We live in Wisconsin. Wisconsiners drink a lot of beer. We're only going to sell our stuff in Wisconsin. So the number one places in Wisconsin that sell spotted cow are all the gas stations right over the border. Because everyone runs over the border to get their spotted cow. If you're heading to Chicago and someone from Chicago knows you're coming from Wisconsin, they're like, hey, man, can you bring me a case of spotted cow? And that's like that's the ticket that gets you everywhere. Every time I travel, I fill the truck with Spotted Cow. Now, Spotted Cow is a great beer. I think they have better beers, but Spotted Cow is what they're known for. Spotted Cow is what everybody knows. So whenever I travel, I travel with Spotted Cow because it gets me in in the door anywhere. I can trade that beer for any beer ever out there, and everybody wants, hey man, can you bring me a case of Spotted Cow? So it's a wonderful bargaining chip. Thank God they don't sell outside of Wisconsin. And and they're fantastic people. They're they're local people. They live right in New Glarus, right there. There, you, you go to Oktoberfest and here are these two people are that are the brewers and the brewmaster and the owner of New Glarus Brewing Company. They are pouring beer in the beer tent, just like a dude from the you know Lions Club is right next to him pouring beer. And there's their two all dressed up in Lederhausen, and and they're they're pouring beer for the general public like just any other Swing and Joe in the world. And literally, I've been told monthly they get an offer for the place for over a billion dollars, and they hang up the phone every time. They laugh, sorry, not for sale, and they hang it up because they love what they're doing. They love their community. They love making some badass beer. Uh, You got to tip the cap to that. Yep. So only Wisconsin is their motto, and they're they're not selling anywhere else. They're happy as clams.
0: All right. Well, I tell you what, it's been Absolutely stellar having you visit here in Oak Hill. Um, The Taylor Park, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, No doubt about it. The fact that you made the trip down for the Dingy Derby was for, and I'll speak for everybody on the podcast, the, the Taylor Trash Fly Fishing podcast when we're doing the full rip. We were thrilled and excited to know that doggy daddy mike johnson (laughs) was making the trip down and i hope you enjoyed it um i'm gonna go ahead and step out on a limb and call it a smashing success um for the first year that we've done it and i hope that maybe if we do it again which we plan to you can come down and join us again next year
1: oh yeah i love to the Dingy derby was something special and and it, it, it you know. People think they can't do anything. There's the big problems in the world. And you guys kind of got together and say, hey, we can do something. And the something just snowballed into something really special. You know, you raised a bunch of dough. But it, the best part is you got the community together and activated the community button. And, and that's what you need to get the ball rolling out here is that people that love the Lagoon need to spread that love to the Lagoon. Like we talked about mentoring and stuff. And you created a bunch of people that had a great time, did a great job for the, for the center, and just, it was just fun to be in the Mosquito Lagoon and see it, you know, first. I, I think they need to change the spelling of Mosquito Lagoon. Just the M is capitalized. I believe all the other letters in Mosquito Lagoon <laughs> need to be capitalized. All the mosquito needs to be in large capital letters and underlined. Lagoon can be in lowercase, but the mosquitoes. The mosquito emphasis. Mosquitoes is in the Mosquito Lagoon for show.
0: There's no doubt it was <laughs> aptly named. Um, you know, from time to time, I think that uh, possibly it should be the Mosquito Noceum Lagoon.
1: Oh, the Noceums, yeah. But
0: have... uh, you know, without the mosquitoes, mosquito
1: on me right now.
0: Where would we be with with um, helicopter air shows?
1: Oh my God! I we kept seeing this helicopter. Oh my God, was it?
0: Dude, that guy has got the best Holy job moly. in the whole wide
1: world. He's on an e-ticket ride all day long. There's mangroves with rotor marks on them out there, three (laughs) feet off the water. Holy moly, that boy is... Yeah, he was getting after it. Yeah, he's pretty special. Now,
0: this isn't a criticism, it's just an observation. After seeing him working hard, working hard, all morning long, I was hoping for a little bit of a dissipation in the mosquito level, and I haven't seen it yet. So I'm going to tell him to just, like, drop the hammer, fucking get after it just a little bit harder. I don't know how that's possible. He's, he's going to
1: say, imagine if I wasn't spraying. Yeah. Imagine all the ones he killed. Uh, <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> so uh, No, man, thanks for having you guys. have been uh, so gracious to open your home to me. Thank you. Uh, your lovely wife and son were just the best hosts in the world, and it was uh, it was just a gem to be hanging out. And seeing your little bit of heaven here was was super special. It really was.
0: Well, I, you know, I tell you what, the fact that you believed enough in what you would find at the end of the road here in Oak Hill and were willing to come down and hang out with us means the world to me. And I know the rest of the guys think the same thing. And, uh, you know, this is the first time we've done a beer with. And all the listeners out there. I hope you enjoyed it. Mike Johnson, we enjoyed having you in Oak Hill and we're looking forward to you coming back and God bless you. Travel safe. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. My first time, but
1: not my last. Awesome.